0: welcome to the escaping enemy mode podcast a podcast help you recognize when your brain is treating others as enemies to be defeated instead of as people to be loved with neuropsychologist jim wilder and brigadier general ray woolridge we'll discover the ways that enemy mode sabotages our best intentions and we'll find pathways together to re-friend the people around us let's get to work
1: Hello, I'm Jim Wilder, and we're here to talk about the three different kinds of enemy mode. Today, we've got a special guest, Lisa from the Minneapolis area. Lisa is an active community builder, leader, and a spiritual com- companion who also teaches trauma-informed spiritual practices within her local faith community. Lisa is a mom of three adult daughters, and she and her husband live in the general Minneapolis area. Good to have you with us, Lisa.
2: Thank you. It is great to be
1: here, Jim. You know, we tell the story. It's a fascinating story in Chapter 4 of Escaping Enemy Mode about how you de-escalated a stupid enemy mode situation in a public setting. Uh, it was during the tensions that were caused by the early COVID restrictions and the George Floyd murders. Uh, now, stupid enemy mode of the three enemy modes is the one that people recognize the best. Mm-hmm because uh, basically people get very upset and then they do something stupid that they wish wasn't being recorded and uh, you know and then they have to figure out how to recover it now we're not going to actually tell the whole story here mm-hmm. but you are able to stay relational towards a very angry man who was kind of melting down with his kids um, and uh, we often see these in stores and public situations And Mm -hmm. most of us pretend like we didn't see it and it isn't happening. So what I mean by staying relational is you actually could engage with them. How on earth did you do that?
2: Well, I mean, let's just say I'm as surprised as anyone about how that story unfolded. And um, I think the real thing that kept me engaged was um, compassion and empathy, the ability to, cause I've been that guy. I've been the, the person drowning in overwhelm with no way out and wow. no one, no one around me knowing the way out, but knowing deep in my soul that that's not the person that I wanted to be. That's um, a
1: really important point. That you know there's more to you than what's coming out of yes. your actions and mouth right at the oh moment. Oh my
2: gosh! Yes. And you could see and
1: that in someone else.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. But really, I think it was it was the kid who who was just so shut down and so underneath it, he just could not function. And I, I was that kid. I was that kid who could not get my act together and stuck in overwhelm and could not do anything right. So um, I would say really compassion and empathy and just have a few having a few little brain science tools in my belt really compelled me forward towards that incident.
1: Well, that's really uh, fascinating. You're already combining some brain science tools and compassion, which are two of the conclusions we reach in the book, that uh, you really need to have a few, uh, some experience of some kind. Um, but uh, you know, and to be compassionate, otherwise experience just makes you a better predator. Uh, right. you, know, you know, you know how to attack better. But um, uh, let's go back to um, this brain science. How how did you able? How were you able to identify? enemy mode and, and how does the term make a difference to you and, you know how do you how do you think about that
2: well i mean let's just start with like if you're alive on planet earth in 2022 and have lived through what we've all lived through the past few years i don't know how learning about enemy mode could not be helpful information like with all the complexities we're living in And particularly in in faith communities, I'm finding we either need to, like, double down on the things that aren't working and trying to convince ourselves that somehow they are. Or we can become a little more honest and maybe desperate and perhaps open ourselves up to learning about things that we previously haven't really seen connected as part of our spiritual lives, like learning about brain science and how our how, bo- how our bodies and systems actually work to give us um, hope and a, and a path forward. Um,
1: I think being des- desperate is probably a good in- uh, ingredient right there. We have to, especially when it comes to stupid enemy mode, we have to say, you know, this simply isn't going to work for us. Right. Um, and you mentioned... <clears throat> You mentioned that following the George George Floyd uh, murders, there was a lot of talk in the media, and you know, you tell the story in the book uh, about de-escalating situations, and mm-hmm. you had kind of taken an interest in that topic. I believe you were trying to teach other people some things, uh, mm-hmm. some skills. Um, mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were practicing and teaching things that uh, you thought would be helpful for de-escalation. What can you tell us about that?
2: Well, I think, first of all, before even, like, there has to have, you have to have some imagination for the, for, for a way forward. Like, you know, I grew up in a low joy setting, and so enemy mode, I think, kind of goes hand in hand with that. And I, just didn't have any tools at my disposal like everywhere I looked there there were no other options so reading books you know hearing stories from other people um and and really actually like studying the way that they did it of of staying connected relationally keeping what are called your relational circuits on so that you actually have some internal resources to, to offer people when they're when they're drowning and overwhelmed. Um, so you
1: are actually recovering in some sense from both the cultural cir- circumstance around you and some of your personal life experiences. You said that as a child uh, you could relate to this sort of being shut down by someone in enemy mode.
2: And oh, so you're, absolutely! You're
1: figuring out how to do something differently.
2: <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. And that's what's been so helpful about, you know, this resource and, and thinking about things neurologically, about being in, in enemy mode, is that um, it, it's given me like an internal map for, and some helpful options for places to go, as opposed to like denial, like, oh, no, I'm, I'm not offended. I'm fine. It's all good. Or just going to the other extreme of I got nothing. So I'm just going to write this person off because I have no other working options. So it's been super helpful in that way to just have an internal map of somewhere to go.
1: So uh, how have you gone about teaching that to others? Cause that seems to be, you're talking about uh, teaching trauma informed spiritual practices. What, what do you mean by that term?
2: Well, Um, One of the big things that I teach that is accessible to everybody is just plain breathe. Can we just take a deep breath? And um, that's helpful in so many situations. It's accessible to all of us. And learning a little bit of the science that's behind how a deep breath is sending signals to the rest of your body that it's okay to settle. Like, so I just keep teaching, if you don't know anything else, if you can't find anything, any other resources inside of yourself, just take a deep breath.
1: All right. Uh, so that helps with you. How how does it uh, help with the other person? Uh, sort of fascinating because you not only helped yourself sort of stay engaged, but it seems like you helped bring down the other person who's you know, shall we say, getting stupid at the moment.
2: Right. Well, and that's, that's part of why learning just a few of these things neurologically is helpful because you learn this is the way the body was made to function and that there's a reciprocal nature wired into all of humanity that um, a peaceful um, presence is actually catchy
1: If you build, yeah, 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 being stupid can be too contagious.
2: (laughs) Yes, yes. So if you know how to access that resource within yourself, you can help just physically by being present. You being able to take deep breaths and remain a peaceful presence, you're you're actually being helpful to that other person's neurology, which is amazing. Good news.
1: Yes. So how would you summarize then the the Quickly, the things that people should uh, have as sort of starting points there neurologically, and uh, you know, breathing, uh, being yep. peaceful, presence. Anything else?
2: Well, and I think the importance of practicing these things when you're not like triggered and your neurology is going all atomic. <laughs> But the ability to just practice this and maybe set a timer on your phone just to remind yourself to take a deep breath throughout the day, because then when you're in those moments of conflict and crisis, that pathway is going to be easier to access and you're not going to feel quite as much like you're drowning.
1: Well, thank you very much for sharing that with us, Lisa. You know, you are a beacon of hope here in the middle of a world that's pretty good at getting stupid and other kinds of enemy mode and uh, I really appreciate being able to talk to someone who's actually uh, sort of started out Hmm. uh, stuck. For sure. Not only only do you get yourself out but you help others as well and that is an extremely hopeful story. So Hmm. thank you for being with us.
2: Oh it's been great. Thanks Jim.
0: Well, Jim, thank you so much for that interview with Lisa. And we're all together now. Uh, I'm here, Jeremy, with Jim and Ray, and we're going to have a little bit of a conversation as a a follow-up to that interview. And I I just thought that story that Lisa gave was so powerful. Um, It was featured in the book Escaping Enemy Mode, and then we got to get a little bit more context into kind of how Lisa engaged with somebody that was in stupid enemy mode and how she was able to connect with them and bring them back to a relational connection. And so Jim, as we're getting this conversation started, can you bring our audience again one more time through what are the three states of enemy mode? And how is this an example of what we call stupid enemy mode?
1: Oh, yes. Well, the Three states of enemy mode. The first is simple. And in simple enemy mode, we just don't have our relational engagement uh, on. We're not really realizing uh, fully that we're talking with another human being. So we're just sort of uh, taking care of business. Uh, And that's really uh, very common uh, not to notice that we're really talking to somebody that matters. Uh, But then when we get upset, the next thing we drift into or explode into. Is stupid enemy mode, and then we say and do things that afterwards we think. Uh, I hope nobody caught that on video. Um, you know that, um, and <laughs> me you know, I felt stupid, you know, doing whatever it was, uh, because they don't really reflect who we are, and they really shut down the brain before the identity center is fully a- activated, and they shut it down with overload. Um, and then the third kind of enemy mode is more of a snake in the grass kind of environment where we're actually intelligently figuring out how to take somebody out. You know, what's the, you know, how are we going to win? And so winning rather than having a good relationship or acting like ourselves becomes uh, the prominent feature.
0: Mm -hmm. And in that story that Lisa uh, related to us, it, It brought up a little bit of anxiety in me, just because when you think of somebody that is in a rage, that is yelling at people, screaming at people, it feels like a a scary situation to step into. And it feels like if you step into that, it could blow up in your face and you could get verbally assaulted, physically assaulted. There's a lot of ways that it can go poorly. And so Ray, what what do you think are some of the risks of engaging people that are in particularly stupid enemy mode?
3: Well, you, you, you highlighted two of them right there. I mean, it's going to be an emotional risk, but it's going to be potentially a physical risk to your, to your, to your body, as it were. Mm-hmm. And, and the question you, you ask yourself in those situations is, what is my role in this situation? You know, am, am I in some type of a official capacity where it's my job to engage with people? Later on, we're going to talk to Mike Beller about cops engaging people in stupid enemy mode, where it's their job to do that. Or if you're a restaurant, con- your hotel concierge, you know, it's your job to talk to the public. Well, what Lisa was in this public setting and she had no responsibility, but she felt this inner urge to do what she could. And I admire her courage, but she really could, one risk is rejection. Yeah. She just gets shut down by the other person. I don't know who you are. I don't have any attachment to you. And therefore, I'm not going to listen to you. And she mm-hmm. but she was able to be courageous enough to make a human connection with the man's sons, but also with the man, you mm-hmm. know, by by just attuning a, a, a with him and 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 connecting with him emotionally that slowed him down a little
1: bit,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, Ray, that. There was uh, two officials that went in to interact with this man, and they walked mm-hmm. out uh, intimidated by the whole thing. But one of the mm-hmm. elements that Lisa talks about is that the first time she heard the explosion, uh, she began a dialogue with Jesus. And mm-hmm. uh, she felt him saying, you know, um, if this happens again, I want you to engage. And so mm-hmm. she actually was bringing a larger perspective. She was, a, you might say, official uh, representative, but this time of uh, of another kingdom, uh, yeah. engaging this person. Uh, and she came into it with a lot of resources that most of us don't bring.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And Ray, you mentioned attunement. And I wanted to explore that a little bit more, that Lisa was able to be attuned to the, to this person in a very volatile state and connect with them. How How do you develop that compassion and that empathy that's able to to see not just what the person's doing, but maybe even what could be behind the person and what could be causing those emotional outbursts?
3: I I think part of it is to make sure you keep the relational side of your brain online and stay relational in the situation. Mm -hmm. And so Lisa was clearly uh, connecting to Jesus in the moment. And she was also able, even though it was a very stressful situation, she was able to stay online and synchronized. And she saw the pain and she identified it with it herself because she had experienced that as a child. Hmm. And so she saw the, the panic on the, si- the eyes of those two young boys. Mm-hmm. She saw the man losing it. And she'd been both the child and the parent. Hmm. And so her compassion, I think, came from her own place of pain. And, and and she was able to quiet herself enough to make that connection. And so th- there was a mutual mind moment between her and the man and her and the boys. Mm-hmm. Now, Jim could say more about the brain science of that, but I, I, that's my layman un- lay understanding of it.
1: Well, what Lisa mentioned is that she was actually teaching her church community how to quiet in the presence of upsetting things. So yes. they wanted to, uh, Actually, learn to uh, I- intervene in intense situations. You know, she's in Minneapolis right after the, all the all the tension that was going on there in the racial situation, the police situation, the community situation. So she's mm-hmm. teaching her church community that, if nothing else, uh, remember to breathe, breathe in and out, breathe slowly, breathe. Um, uh, Calmly, uh, you know, use your breathing uh, to fill your yourself with, in in one sense, with God's presence, but another Mm -hmm. sense with a a sense of calm. And she said, if nothing else, uh, just focus on breathing with whoever else it is. And so here she is in the situation. She already has been practicing and thinking about how do I just stay here? and breathe calmly so that I'm a calm presence while everybody else is losing it.
0: Mhm. That was something I was wanting to explore a little bit further. She she went back to that a couple times of the importance of breath and co- being conscious of your breath in those moments. Do you have insight into why being conscious of your breath is so important and what happens when we're when we lose sight of that?
1: Well, there aren't very many ways that we can actually directly impact the two nervous systems that that uh, either uh, keep us calm or go crazy and let us do stupid things. And breathing is one of those systems. Mm-hmm. So when, every time you uh, inhale, you activate your sympathetic nervous system and that's the arousal one. And mm-hmm. then if you exhale slowly, you actually activate your quieting system. And so by going back and forth, uh, well, there's two things. If you're, if people get scared, they actually sort of stop breathing. Mm. Uh, you know, it's like they're, they're frozen, they stop breathing. Not breathing alarms your body even more. So let's go back and let's just keep breathing. That means life goes on. Mm-hmm. And every time you uh, breathe in, you do so slowly. So that sort of slows down your arousal circuit. And Mm -hmm. then as you breathe out slower yet, that says, okay, during this time, I am going to release all the chemicals into my nervous system that help us quiet down. Now, the reason we get stupid is that our cingulate cortex is over aroused. And Mm -hmm. so we need to quiet it. This activates the quiet system and it's controllable. You know, How else do we control it? Well, you can control how slowly you breathe Uh, Mm -hmm. And so by, by slowing that down, your heart rate also starts to come down. It's like, okay, we're going to, we're going to match the part of the system that you can actually control. And that's in a sense, the, uh, the marvel of working from the breathing side.
0: Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's such an important clue and key into escaping enemy mode is that that is something that we do have control over that we can access even when we're in that moment. And like, I can even feel that right now. Like as you're talking about breathing in, I don't know if the people listening did the same thing, but I'm <laughs> taking a deep breath in and I can feel it and letting it out. I can feel kind of the coolness come over my body. And yeah, it's, it's a quite an experience when you actually are paying attention to see what happens.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. These are the, these are the subtle uh, cues. There's um you know, there's some a, a few other little things you can throw in with it. First of all, you can also give someone something to drink if you're in that kind of a context, like oh, water. And just when you breathe, when you drink, you can't breathe at the same time. And so yeah. a swallowing also activates the parasympathetic calming system. It's like, oh, I'm being fed, I'm being nurtured, I'm being taken care of. Hmm. That's a calming thing. Uh, and uh, the the one that I think is quite funny is yawning. Yawning activates the parasympathetic. Mm-hmm. I've seen people in emergency situations just turn to the side and, and make a little yawn, sort of cover
0: their mouth, and go. Okay, <laughs> and where were we? And You're going to make it hard was... to finish the podcast with all the yawning. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's very contagious, but it actually yep. activates the other person's nervous system. And says, "Okay, let's quiet together here." Uh, we don't yeah. have to be panicked. This is a spot where we could just settle in and it's okay to be together. Those are some of the, the physical cues that you can use.
0: And Ray, I wanted to ask you um, specifically about the breathing techniques. I know you have a history with being a Army Brigadier General, and I'm curious what type of breathing techniques you have seen and used in the past that are helpful for remaining in touch with your body and calming down in stressful situations
3: the navy seals use in stressful situations box breathing and it's and they're trained to do this it's 4 seconds in 4 seconds hold 4 second exhale and then a 4 second pause and so it's a box now i realize not everybody can do that and and I also realize that in in combat, special ops, you, you're training your amygdala not to overreact to fear signals. Mm-hmm. But they are doing some of the most arduous and dangerous uh, things on the planet. And how can they stay present and keep their their systems synchronized? Both uh, you know, sympathetic, parasympathetic. Well, box breathing. Now, box breathing is just good deep belly breaths. One time I was working with someone who was just hyperventilating and having a panic attack. And she had been trying to calm herself for a minute or two and it wasn't working. And I coached her to do box breathing and we did it together for about five minutes. And at the end of that five minutes, she was calmed down enough to where we could then begin talking about what it was that was causing the panic attack. But mm-hmm. it, it take it takes time, and you can train you train yourself to do it. Now, this is very similar to breathing that's taught in a lot of uh, areas. Martial arts use breath breath techniques like this. Uh, uh, Jim talks about his experience scuba diving. I'm sure there's some breath techniques that you use when you're underwater too <laughs> that are very similar to this.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: the The difference with uh, underwater breathing is you always have to breathe through your mouth mm-hmm. uh, because that's where your regulator is, and so you. Uh, you keep breathing through your mouth and, uh, when you're actually in, in air, which is a different environment. So it's sort of state dependent breathing. It's much better for calming if you breathe in and out through your nose. And so that would be the main mm-hmm. difference between underwater calming and
0: above water calming uh, when it comes to that. Oh, I just love that. That is such a great place for us to leave off for today. Um, yeah, thank you so much to Lisa for that conversation and for her willingness to demonstrate how um, you can engage and attune with people who are in and who are in stupid enemy mode. And just a reminder that our breath and being present and being connected to our Father in Heaven and being even through prayer that we have access to pathways to escape enemy mode. Um, and next time we have a very great conversation with our friend, Chris Corsi, and we are going to talk a little bit more about simple enemy mode in one of the most intimate places that we have in marriage and in our homes. Um, and I'm really excited to to have a conversation about that. You've been listening to the escaping enemy mode podcast to learn more about the book by Dr. Jim Wilder and Ray Woolridge. Visit EscapingEnemyMode.com